Welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. I want to preach today from Mark chapter 4, and really I'm thinking of just going through, kind of gone into the scripture thing, kind of starting at Mark chapter 4 and moving into Mark chapter 5 and just see where it leads uh, as, as we go, because we're beginning to enter into a season here at City Chapel where in January, starting January 5th, we're going to have prayer and fasting, meaning we're going to be meeting for prayer every night here at the church, and if you want to join us, we, you're more than welcome to join us for prayer and for worship. Um, we're also going to have some other groups as well. Um, um, but all geared toward taking the next step, moving forward. That's why we fast. We don't fast and pray to make God do stuff. We fast and pray because we personally want to take the next step in our walk with him. We want to hear from him. We, and and that, that's different for each one of us. We're at different places in our walk with him. And so, and so what I want, to, I want to start talking about January and how we're going to do that. Um, but today I want to look at Mark chapter 4, verse 35, and we're going to read down through verse 41, which is the last, uh, or down through, yeah, 41, which is the last of the chapter. Um, everybody there? If you're not, we have it on the screen. On the same day, so I might not get very far because that's a really key phrase. On the same day, uh, when evening had come, he said to them, his disciples, let us cross over to the other side. Now, when they had left the multitude, that's key too. So there's some people you might have to leave. There's some crowds you might need to step away from. When they had left the multitude, they took him. Isn't that interesting? They, the disciples, took Jesus. It's funny. They were, they were, they, Jesus called them to follow him, but in this instance, they took him. They took him and uh, in, in the boat as he was, which is the only way you can really take Jesus. <laughs> and other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose. Now, that, that, that sounds bad. If it sounds bad, it's because it is. This, this story is actually mentioned in several different Gospels. It made such an impression on the, on the disciples that several of them um, talk about it. Matthew talks about this storm, and he calls it a, a seismos. Uh, the word he uses, is, he doesn't say great windstorm. He says a seismos windstorm. That, if that word sounds familiar, it's because that's our word for seismic. Like when we're talking about earthquakes, that's the word we use. So, so Matthew's searching for a word. He calls it a seismos storm. This is a massive uh, 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 seismos. This is a massive storm. A great windstorm arose, and the waves began to beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he, Jesus, was in the stern asleep on the pillow. <laughs> and they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care? Two things they, they evaluated here. Number one, how Jesus was feeling. And number two, what was happening to them. Do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. But he said to them, so he first speaks to the wind, then he speaks to the waves, and then he speaks to his disciples, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? 
Verse 41, and they feared exceedingly. (laughs) Uh, I just find that funny. And said to one another, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? I'd like to maybe look at this a little differently. In verse 35, it says, on the same day, when evening had come, on the same day, um, the same day, the same day is what? Well, verse 35 is preceded by verse 34. So it's the same day as verse 34, which is also the same day as verse 33 and 32 and 31. And actually, when you read through Mark chapter 4, it's, the, it's, it's all one day. Um, Jesus is, is teaching a crowd. He is sitting in a boat because the, such a large crowd, uh, the Bible says multitude. Most scholars believe that when the Bible mentions the word multitude, it's talking of at least a thousand people. So at least a thousand people are gathered around Jesus. And so if they're all gathered around him, it's hard for everybody to hear him. So he, he gets in a boat with his disciples and he, and he launches out just a little ways from the shore so that he can get uh, some distance from the crowd so that he can project his voice. And he has about a thousand people at least gathered along the shore. He's in the boat and he's teaching. This is the same day. This is a day where Jesus is teaching all day long. And, 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 and what he, the content of his teaching, see, Jesus was teaching almost every day for three years. Jesus, the, the, one of the gospel writers said, if we tried to fit everything that Jesus taught and everything that Jesus did in this gospel, there, all of the books in the world couldn't contain it. So we know that they left some stuff out. And, and, and yet this is one of the days, it's just interesting to me that, that of all the, I mean, for three years they were with Jesus, and then they zoom in on one day, the morning teaching and the afternoon little exciting ride across the lake. It's all in one day, and, and he says it, that, it's, that it's in the same day. And it's almost like it's important that you understand that this, this boat experience didn't happen on another day, it happened on the same day as the teaching. And those of us who are in Texas, we know that you can have four seasons on the same day. You know, a lot can happen on the same day. Uh, You know, uh, Michigan can lose and, um, I don't know, some other loser teams can win on the same day. You know what I'm saying? Like, 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 a lot can happen. And that's really what this path, I feel like that's what verse 35 is all about. He's trying to pack more into the day because it's significant that you and I know that it was on the same day of the teaching that he actually got into, uh, that he got into the boat. And so I feel like maybe, maybe God is desiring for us to understand that even, that it doesn't take very long for things to shift. It doesn't take very long for things to move. It doesn't take very long for things to happen. So no matter where you are today, it can actually be on the same day that something significant shifts and moves in your life. And in fact, I mean, this is December 1st, which means we are like literally less than one month away from 2020. And I feel like God just wants to give some of us like a 2020 vision. And I don't mean like, like a clear, clear vision, but I mean clear as with regard to the, the year 2020. He wants to give us some 2020 vision, not so we can see clearly what has happened in the past, but so that we can get a vision for what he has for us in the future. See, this, was, this wasn't a bad day. This was a good day. And sometimes, even in good seasons, God can, God can look at you on the same day. Jesus looks at his disciples on the same day, and he says, let's go. That's without the T, and you add an extra S. 
let's go. I don't know if you hashtag let's go. Jesus on the set, like he's been teaching all day. It's been awesome. He's been telling them parables about sowers and seeds and soils and everything. And then he turns to his disciples and he says, let's go. Let's, let us go to the other side. On the same day, sometimes you can even be in a good season, but God can look at you and say, okay, we can't stay here for very long. So, so, so if you would just touch three people and, and announce to them my sermon title, which is Let's Go, just tell them, let's go. In about, in, in, in about 25 minutes, let's go. We're going to be going about 25. We have about 25 minutes left. But it's time. I feel like God wants to stir up some, some urgency inside of us, inside of you, even if you're in a good season, that God's got greater things for you. That God's got better things for I mean, if, if 2019 has been this good, if 2019, how much more does God have in store for City Chapel? How much more does God have in store if his presence has been this thick, if worship has been this good in 2019? How much more? If, if, if he's been, if, if 12 kids have been baptized in 2019, how much more does he have in store for us in 2020? I would like for you, no matter, even if it's been a good year, even if it's been a good day, Sometimes it's the good days that keep us from the best days. Sometimes it's the fact that we settle for less that we miss God's best that he has for us. See, now, now Mark is writing this gospel, right? He's the official author, but we know that Mark is being informed by Peter. I talked about this a couple weeks ago, that technically this is kind of like the gospel of Peter because Peter's the one who's talking to Mark based on his memory of the events that happened. And now Mark was there, and Peter was there, and they're, 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 they're writing this gospel together. And Peter says, hey, make sure, make sure to include that parable. Make sure to include that story. And then let them know that it was on the same day that we ran into that storm. And, I, and I'm sure it's not in the Bible, but I think probably Peter, as he's listening to the parables of Jesus... Jesus is talking about the different kinds of soils, right? There's, a, there's good soil that receives the word of God, and it grows inside of you. Then there's not-so-good soils that are a bit hard... And the, the seed, the word just kind of drops off those soils. It doesn't, doesn't take root. There's other kinds of soils as well. It's like, it's like it starts to take root, but there's rocks in there that block it. And then there's other kinds of soils. And so he, he gives these different kinds of soils, meaning the different hearts of the individuals who are hearing his words. And just because I know Peter, Peter is pretty self-confident. I'm pretty sure Peter's sitting there going, man, I am definitely the good soil. I mean, look at me. I'm, I was an early adopter of Jesus. I've been a Jew all of my life. I've been following uh, the, the, the principles of Jehovah, and now I'm with Jesus, and this is a good day because he's saying these parables, and not everybody is understanding these parables, but he's explaining them secretly to us. And so in this room, we probably have some Peters in here, and that's good. We have some people who are excited about what God's doing in their life. I'm, I'm one of those. I am Pete. Like, I'm the guy who's like, I can't believe I get to live in this day and in this time pastoring these people in this city at such a junction in history where God is doing so much, where we can preach to folks in other countries just by flipping on a camera and having a few people back there. Like, it's amazing what God is doing right here and right now. And I'm kind of fired up about what's next, you know? When Jesus tells Peter, hey, let's go to the other side, Pete's in the boat. Like, he's ready to go. Like, you don't have to tell him twice. If, if God was this good, if God was this faithful, and by the way, like this faithful, when, when I say that, I know most of you don't really know how faithful he was in City Chapel. 
So you just have your own life, but me, I have like all of your lives. So I, I, I talk to all of you, which is one of the reasons why I'm like Peter, because I'm like, wow, can you believe what God's doing in Jonathan in Danielle? Can you believe what God's doing in the Joneses? Can you believe what God's doing in Amy? Can you like I look out and I see representations of the, the miraculous faithfulness of God. And I think, my goodness, this time last year, I didn't think they would be there. I didn't think they would be where they're at. And my goodness, if they made that much progress in this one year, how much more is God going to do? Some has just been just been at it for three months and already fruit is starting to grow and stuff's starting to happen. And I'm and I get I get fired up. So I'm not saying it's bad to be like Peter. I'll bet, but but for Peter, he's like, man, man, you gotta include that it was on the same day. Because if you would have told me that I was about to encounter the greatest seismos storm of my life, I would not have believed it. So sometimes on the same day, things can go from really good to a little bit tricky. Because, because honestly, some of us are audio, are audio learners. We're audible learners. We learn by listening. I think Pete was that way. I know I'm that way. That's how I got through Bible college. <laughs> was, I, 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 I eventually gave up on buying books because I figured if I'm not going to read them, why am I paying all this money for them? And I, 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 I had a notebook. I'm not saying this for everybody. This is how I got through college. I, I had one notebook, and then I had a giant bag of peanut butter M&Ms in my backpack. And so I'd pull up to class, I'd, I'd unzip my bag, and I would just eat peanut butter M&Ms while I listened to the professor. Because if I can listen to something, then I remember it. It sinks down in me. So I'm an audible learner. So Peter, I think, is probably the same way. He's had a whole day of teaching. He's fired up. And I, I don't know. I just wonder, because I know Peter and Mark were so very different. Mark was so self-confident, or Peter was so self-confident, but Mark, on the other hand, he couldn't even leave Paul's missionary journey without an excuse. If that would have been Pete, he would have been like, I don't agree with what you're doing, I'm leaving. But we know that Mark comes up with the excuse that I have to take care of my mom. Like the pinnacle of all excuses, you know, like the, the one that you can't shame anybody for. Like Mark reaches for that one. You know, I got to take care of my mom. Well, because Mark doesn't seem like he's that confident. Most scholars believe that Mark is the, the disciple um, in the Gospel of Mark. When Jesus is taken away captive from the Garden of Gethsemane, there's, there's an unnamed disciple who runs from the garden naked. <laughs> Most believe it was Mark. Pete's like, hey, you definitely need to include that. Man, I don't want to include that. No, you really need to include that. That was funny. Like, that was, that was good stuff. Like, we all know. You don't have to say the name, but we all know who, who's running naked. He's so scared. He drops his clothes. And he's running from the garden. And Pete's like, you got you to gotta include that. So most believe that Mark was the one running because Mark wasn't that confident. And when he's met with force, when he's met with swords and, 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 and the possibility of imprisonment and dungeon and all that stuff, he's, like, he's out. He gone. He gone. Let's go. <laughs> Touch somebody. Tell him, let's go. Let's go. Uh, that's what that's what Mark's saying. And 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 so and so it's funny because Peter he's like, man, make sure you include because I was riding a spiritual high and then I hit a storm, which will which will happen to some of us. But then you have Mark, and I don't know. I feel like maybe Mark was like, man, that was the like like I, that was the day I almost quit. Because Jesus is talking about these different soils and how the really hard one can't receive the word. I thought he was telling me that I wouldn't be able to receive the word because honestly, I wasn't getting it. Because while Peter's jumping up and down and shouting amen and he's tossing his hanky at Jesus, tell it, 
Tell it. Won't he do it? I, the, Pete, Pete's, you know, he's, he's going for it. Say that. Say that. Yeah, say that. Wow. Say that. You know, so, I mean, Pete's into it. And Mark's sitting over there. He's going, he, and Mark's like, I'm missing something. Because I'm not getting the same thing Peter's getting. And I'm, you know, it, that was the day he was about to quit before Jesus looked at him and said, let's go. It's so interesting how sometimes, some of us are audible learners. We learn a lot this way. Some of us are kinetic learners. There's some stuff, some of us, we're, we've been hearing a lot from Colossians, but until you start living it, see, Jesus said, let's go to the other side. What's the other side? The other side is the other side of this teaching. It's the other side of what I've been telling you. Now we're going to put it into practice. And, and, it, and it's in the practice that Peter is tested. And it's in the practice that Peter figures out that he doesn't know quite as much as he thought that he knew. It's in the practice that Peter realizes that he needs more faith. He thought he had a whole lot, but he realizes he's a little bit short on it. But it's also in the practice that Mark realizes that he knows more than he thought he knew. It's in the practice that Mark realizes he's more committed than he thought that he was. It's in the practice that Mark realizes that he's more connected to Jesus than he thought that he was because he's in the same boat as the other guys. It's in the, and, so, and so sometimes it, the other side of where you are, some, some of you, like, like if, if, if you're watching from home, you're like, I just don't really get it. I don't know that I'm, that I'm moving at the same pace as everybody. Guess what? The way to find there's some stuff that won't make sense on this side. In fact, there's some growth that you have experienced on this side that you don't even know you've experienced. You won't realize how much you've grown until you cross over to the other side. It's on the other side that reveals how much you've actually grown. And so there's some people, they never, they never even realize how much they've grown because they never get to the other side of their growth. They get too discouraged in the middle of it. And it is to those people as well, it is to Mark as well as Peter that Jesus turns and says, let's go. Let's go. Let's move from, from this area of teaching. Let's move from this cognitive thinking. Let's move on from this theology, which I've been presenting to you. And now let's step into the reality of your calling. Let's go. Let's move. Because, because it is in the moving. Sometimes it's on the other side that you understand the reason why you had to suffer on this side. Sometimes the suffering you're going through on this side won't make sense until you get to the other side. There's, there's some, sometimes the struggle on this side won't make sense to you get the, to the other side because part of the other side is a person that God is creating you and cultivating you and making you into that you are not that person yet. And so that person will understand why you had to go through this stuff. But your old person doesn't get it. And so sometimes you just simply have to close your eyes and say, let's go. I don't understand everything. I don't think I picked up on all the parables. I think I forgot, and I'm not really sure what that one was all about, and I'm not really sure who he's talking to there. But at the same time, if, if Jesus is inviting me, then he must have something for me. And this, this, is, this is what also stuck out to me. So my, so my, my first point is that, 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 that it can be on the same day that, that God wants you to move even in the middle of perhaps spiritual success and you feel like you're flying high or spiritual failure you feel like you're struggling a little bit that even on that same day that the answer is when Jesus comes and proposes to you this other side this movement to 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 respond to him and to to step into that is is is, is really good even if it's on the same day because the end of one thing Mark says it was it was at the evening of that day the end of that day 
The end of one thing is the beginning of something else. The end of that day is the beginning of something else. And, and look, your, your destiny is not in 2019. <laughs> you're, you're, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and give you hope and a past. No, oh, wait, a hold on, that's not what he says. To give you hope and a future because, because God is looking forward. God is looking for what's next. I don't want to miss out on God's best for me because I'm too busy focused on what was and where I used to be and what I figured out and the revelation experiences that I had. And this is true in all of life. You can miss out on a great marriage because you're too busy thinking about the marriage you had the first six months that you were married. <laughs> okay. Uh, marriage class. Just never mind. Just go, go to Peter's marriage class. It'll help you out. If you're so fixated on what you had, you'll, you'll lose sight of what you could have. And what you could have is in the future. What you have is in the past. So as, as, as the great warthog once said, you got to put your behind in your past. There was a great warthog who said that. You might, you might, it might take you a while to get that. That was not biblical. That was not in the Bible. But, but seriously, sometimes you got, Jesus is moving forward. And he has a dream for you and he has a purpose for you, he has a place for you. In fact, if you were to, man, if you were to zoom out, it would be so interesting. The lake, the, the lake I, they call it the Sea of Galilee. I call it a lake because it's only eight miles from the, from, the, from the longest end to the longest end. It's only eight miles. You can see across it. It's not a sea. It's a lake. It's a... It's a large lake sure but it's a lake but if you could zoom if you could go to google earth and look at that and just pull out like during this day on this day it's so fascinating there's a thousand people gathered on one end of the lake and there's this little teeny boat and there's this guy teaching there's 12 guys in the boat with them but then if you look on the other side of the lake you'll see a graveyard a bunch of tombs it's barren there's nobody there and if you zoomed in, I don't know, real time, if the camera was watching, you would see one little guy sneak out of the tombs. We know him as the demoniac because we never really know his name. He's in Mark chapter 5, maybe next week's sermon. But if you zoom in, you find one, one guy. You've got a thousand people over here. And you have one guy over here. And Jesus says, let's go. Because the... The thousand people over here might make you feel good, but there's somebody over here who needs you to leave the comfort of the thousand people over here who are making you feel good. And he says, let's go, because Jesus knows who is on the other side, not just what is on the other side, but who is on the other side of your obedience. And so he says, let's go, because, because I'm aware of somebody who needs what I have. There's great deliverance on the other side. And, but on this side, you can't necessarily see it and so and so and and, and so i feel like there's god wants to present a vision to you and and the way that jesus offers this journey is so interesting to me uh when he said let us go to the other side and i, and I was reading this in the original language i thought for sure that 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 verb let us go to the other side i thought for sure that that was a that was in the imperative mood imperative mood is the mood of commands where Jesus is issuing a command, and maybe it's because I grew up in church. Maybe it's just I, I happen to think Jesus is the kind of guy who just tells people what to do all the time. I don't know. He's issuing commands. I guess, I personally, I probably think of a God who's issuing commands all the time. 
But it was, it was fascinating to me that when I read that passage, it's actually not, let us go to the other side. It's not in the imperative mood. He did not say, guys, go to the other side. This was not a command. And it's also not in the indicative mood, which would, which, which, would, which would be like if he were to say, guys, I'm going to the other side. You can join me if you like, but I'm going to the other side. It's also not in the indicative mood in the sense of like a plural verb where he said, guys, we are going to the other side. He never promised them that they were going to the other side. Because it's not in the indicative because he wasn't planning on doing it without them. And I think that's what's so interesting. It's in the subjunctive mood. The subjunctive mood, usually in English, if you're in the subjunctive mood, you, 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 you put a word if in front of it. Because it's, it's the furthest, it's one of the most furthest, furthest removed from reality, meaning it could happen, it could not. Really, literally, he said to the guys, would you like to go to the other side? It's fascinating to me, especially when you know the context. You know the man who's possessed by demons on the other side. You know the eternal weight on that question that God leaves it up to 12 goofballs in a boat. <laughs> but, but, but maybe that's how God generally works. I feel like God does that a lot. I feel like God comes to me a lot and says, Harry, would you like? So, so, so maybe, maybe the point from that is you, 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 you can if you want to. You can go to the other side if you want to. Which is the great question. Do you want to go to the other side? It's, it's a possibility. Jesus is literally, uh, the one, one of the definitions for the subjunctive mood is a proposal to propose something, to throw something out there. See, they've been sitting in a boat all day, about 30 feet from the shore, anchored down. And you can see all around the country of the, the, country of the Gadarenes. And, 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 and these, these fishermen, many of them, are sitting there looking out onto the lake. And finally, after sitting all day anchored down, Jesus says, hey, would you like to go over there? Meaning, if you want to, God has the resources to make it happen. <laughs> so so this, is, this is my second point. You can if you want to. You can if you want to. And this is, this is interesting to me that God would, God, God would put so much weight on the simple desire of humanity. That the man on the other side is waiting for 12 guys to want to. It's interesting. They took him along. Scripture says. I don't know if we have that scripture up. They took, they took him along. They took him along as he was. They took him in the boat. They are the ones who are doing the taking. They are the ones who are doing the initiating. They are the ones who are stepping out. Jesus offered to them, hey, if you want to cross over to the other side, you can. I'll be with you. Notice he said, let us. He didn't say, hey, do you guys want to go over there? (laughs) Now, if he would have said that to Peter, Peter would have been like, absolutely, I'll meet you over there. But instead he said, would you all like for all of us to go over there? And, I, and, and, and it's the sense in which Jesus is promising his presence if they want to. Jesus is promising his provision if they want to. Jesus is promising his power if they want to. He's promising the purpose of what he had planned for them all along if they want to. But he's leaving it in their court. He's throwing it to them. And he's saying, hey, do you want to? 
And they took him along. They got him in the boat as he was. And they had to pull up the anchor. And they had to get the rows. And they had to start rowing. And they had to make a decision that they were going to the other side. And so that's my statement to you. You can if you want to. You can go to the other side if you want to. And I would just encourage you that there's so much on the other side. There's so much on the other side that if I could, if I could stand on the other side, if you could stand on the other side, then you would, you would want to. Even with the, the difficulty that is in between, which is really the subject of this, of this text, was the difficulty, the, the, the storm that comes up in the middle of it. They didn't know that. And sometimes God hides that from us, probably, because if he said, hey, do you want to go into a storm? They would have said, oh, no, no, thanks. No, I'm, I'm, I'm good. We good. But he says, he says, let's go to the other side. He talks about the other side. He doesn't talk about the storm in the middle. Because right. <laughs> he's sneaky like that. Jesus is sneaky. You didn't know that, but he is sneaky. And he'll, he'll, talk, to you, he'll talk to you about heaven, He'll say, I've gone to prepare a place for you, but he won't talk to you about how difficult the road is between here and there. <laughs> he'll talk to you. He'll talk to you. He says, man, in this world, you will have trials and tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have already overcome the world. And so he'll talk about the end result. He'll talk about the ultimate final victory, but he'll, 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 he'll kind of clue you in a little bit. But, but the level of, of battling that you'll have to do between here and there, he doesn't tell you that up front. He often, you know, tells us about the great um, payoff, the reward. We don't always, we don't always know the full cost of it. And part of that is because, honestly, even if he told us the cost, like Matthew would not have guessed a seismic storm. Sometimes the level of the cost can't be fully interpreted just simply by a message. You have to actually walk through it. You have to actually step into it to know how heavy it is you have to be in the middle of the storm to understand how difficult it is and so even if he tried to explain to them guys it's gonna be a really 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 bad storm but 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 with his with 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 his knowledge he knows that many of us would turn back if we knew how much it cost up front many of us would say i'm not ready to pay that because you're not ready to pay that on this side but when you take off, when you, the, the courage it takes to lift up that anchor, the courage it takes to leave the multitude, the, the courage it takes to say, yeah, sure, let's go over there where nobody is and there's a bunch of tombs and a crazy man. Let's go for that. Let's, yeah, the, like the very, the very same thing it takes for you to rise up and take the next step is the courage and strength you need to take the step after that. It builds upon itself. So he doesn't tell us the full picture because we're not ready to commit to the full pic- picture yet. He's asking us for the next step because he knows we're able to make that next step right now and when you make that next step then you have that next step empowers you for the next step after that he says would you like to take up the anchor would you like to pull away from this crowd of cheering fans you know would you like to move away and go over there where nobody is and maybe one man is is there would would you be willing to do that and they say yeah let's do it and then they get into the storm they get into the thick of it. They, they left the multitude. They took him along in the boat as he was. And other little boats were also with him. And then a great windstorm arose. Then the waves beat into the boat. Then the boat was beginning to fill. But Jesus was in the stern, 
asleep. He's sleeping through. He's a heavy sleeper. I like that about Jesus. That's, that's, I am like him in that way. Following in his footsteps. Then he was in the stern asleep on a pillow and they, they, they woke him up. Technically the word pillow just means a stool. He didn't carry a pillow with him. This wasn't a neck pillow, a neck pillow. This wasn't. This was. This was just a stool. It, it's believed to be. This boat is not large, by the way. It's. It's about. Um, they actually recovered one such boat um, from the Sea of Galilee. It's on. A, it's on display uh, over in over in Israel, and it's this beautiful um, display. And it was pretty well preserved. It had been covered under dirt and stuff. And uh, they believe it's from about seventy years after Jesus. And um, it's pretty fascinating. It's more like a canoe, actually. Um, it's, it's a bit wider than a canoe, um, but it's about the same it's a length. It's about 12 feet long, and it's about four and a half feet wide, five feet wide. It stretches out like that. It's only about this deep, okay? So when, when, when we think of boats, I know we think of like several layers, and he's down there in this lower somewhere. No, he wasn't. There was no layers. It was just, it was a, it was a canoe. And so when it says that he's asleep at the stern, uh, what that was is there was, there was a little um, seat in the back for the, the captain to sit on. The captain's seat, uh, he would sit on this little seat. That way everybody in the canoe could see him and they could row and he could tell them where to go. So we left, right, left, right, left, 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 all right, okay, right, right, okay, course correction. He's, he's correcting, he's, he's directing. Well, that's, that's what's so interesting. And, 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 Mark, and Mark notes where he is sleeping. Jesus is not sleeping at one of the row, at one of the rowing spots. If he was sleeping at one of the rowing spots, you would sort of be cranking a little bit to the, the, the right or the left, wherever he's sleeping. No, he's sleeping at the wheel. <laughs> he's in the driver's seat. He's at the command post. He's, he's the one everybody's looking to for, okay, do we need to go left? Do we need to go right? What's going on here? And and, and in the middle of the greatest storm of their life, Jesus hits the snooze button on their alarming situation. And he turns around and lays down, uses the captain's chair as a pillow and says, this is a good time for a nap. Man, I, I don't know if any of you have experienced that where the one time when you really needed somebody to tell you where to go and what to do, all you hear from heaven is... <laughs> they look back and they're like, what? what? And, and, and the captain's sleeping. It's bad if one of the guys, if one of the guys sleeping, but when the guy in charge, when heaven goes to sleep, that's what's interesting because we know that, that God never sleeps and he never slumbers. But in this moment, it, it's like all the disciples are like, yeah, that was a really bad night because of the bad storm, but also because God clocked out. <laughs> he, he, he just hit the snooze button. He wasn't reacting to the craziness the way that we were reacting to the craziness. He wasn't in there with me. He wasn't identifying with me in the struggle. He was sleeping. And Jesus is there sleeping and his disciples eventually wake him up. Which is not a bad thing to wake God up if you're in the middle of struggle and crisis. It's not a bad thing to go back to that captain chair and say, we can't do this without you. Probably would have been good for them to do that a little sooner before the boat started to sink. Probably the quicker that you can 
that you can wake Jesus up. See, see, I guess they didn't mind him sleeping when everything was calm. I guess they were good with his silence when everything was calm. I guess they were cool. As long as everything was good, yeah, it's all good. We got this. It's so interesting how we got this until we don't. <laughs> and when we don't, we go, what happened to God? How come he's not talking? Well, that's funny because you, you, you weren't interested in talking to him when things were going smoothly. Pete was just ready. He's going to the other side. Mark's like, okay, yeah, yeah I know. I, I can see how, where the other side is. This little eight-mile jaunt, this isn't going to be a big deal. And everything's cool. We got this until we don't. And then when we don't have it, then we go, wait, well, where's God? Why is he sleeping? He dozed off when you were too busy working through life without him. <laughs> Your prayer life put him to sleep. Well, all right. Your, 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 your devotion put him to sleep in the good time. Your, your chasing after him was so impressive. <laughs> he dozed off because it wasn't happening. Because nobody was talking to him. Nobody was asking him for directions. No, they, they said, now we, we got this. And they did have it until they didn't. And when they didn't, they realized, wait a minute. The captain's asleep. And they turn to him and they wake him up. And it's, and it's a good thing to wake Jesus up. It's a good thing to go to the one that you should have probably been talking to the whole time. <laughs> Sometimes it takes a little storm to get you to recognize that, hey, we haven't even talked to Jesus in a while. And Jesus doesn't rebuke them. Notice he rebukes the wind. The word rebuke is there for the wind. Rebuke means to tell off or to say you're, you're out of line. He rebukes the wind. And then he speaks to the waves. He says, okay, now you can calm down. Because he had to speak to their environment before he could speak to the disciples. He had to, he had to speak to their situation before he could speak to them. And this is what I think God does sometimes. When we first wake him up, he begins dealing with our environment. He begins calling out the stuff that's out of order. He begins calling out the stuff that's stirring up the stuff that's sinking us. See, so the water was sinking them. The waves were sinking them. They were concerned about the waves, but it wasn't the waves' fault. It was the wind. And sometimes we have things that are stirring up our problems, that are driving our issues, that are behind the water that's coming into our boat. And what Jesus does is he doesn't even deal with the water. He doesn't deal with, with the surface stuff, the stuff that's sinking you. He deals with the wind, which is pushing and driving all of that thing. And he rebukes that, and he rebukes the environment. He doesn't rebuke the disciples. He rebukes the environment, and he deals with the environment. He deals with the situation. Why? Because, because if a seed is going to go into the ground, we got to, we got to chop up the environment. We have to get rid of the rocks out of the environment. We have, to, we have to get rid of the crows from the environment. We have to deal with the environment. He said, and so, so really, the problem is not that they, they had bad hearts. The problem is that they had a bad environment. And so as Jesus has been, has been waking up in your life and rising up in your life, you're going to notice that he starts rebuking certain environmental things, certain environmental habits, certain environmental uh, videos that you watch and music that you listen to, certain environmental relationships that you hold on to, certain environmental situations that are causing the waves to rise up in your life. And he deals with it, and then he turns to his disciples, and he says, and he says to them, how... He said, why are you so afraid? Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Two questions. Why are you so fearful? And how is it you don't have any faith? 
Now, this is interesting because the word for fear there, when he says, why are you so fearful? It's not the same word that's used in verse 41 when it says they were exceedingly afraid. So the word for exceedingly afraid is actually phobos, where we get phobia. It's to be be ridiculously or, um, I don't know, um, strangely afraid. A phobia is a fear you have of something that you probably shouldn't be that afraid of, like a spider. Arachnophobia. So some people have a phobia about spiders, and technically spiders are really not that dangerous in the broader scheme of things. Your house burning down, that's dangerous. But a spider is not really going to do much damage to you. But people have a, a significant fear of spiders, and so it's, a, it's an irrational level of fear to, it's an irrational reaction to the level of danger that's presented. That's the kind of fear that they had of Jesus. They were, they were significantly, it says exceedingly fearful, because technically it, it says they were, they, were, they were phobia of phobia. <laughs> they were so scared, they were afraid of their scaredness. They were freaked out about being freaked out. They were, they, it's like, and, and Jesus is fine with that. That's not what he calls out. He says, why are you so fearful? And the word fearful there is not phobos. It's, 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 it's dilos. See, Jesus doesn't, Jesus isn't against you being human. If the water is coming in the boat and you're going down, you're probably going to have some phobos, some phobeo, some pho- You're going to have some fear. You're going to have some emotions that are going to be going crazy, and you probably should be, actually, if your family's going down. I I would be surprised if you just calmly say, oh, yes, Jesus has it all under control. Well, maybe. But if Jesus is sleeping in your boat and your boat's going down, your reaction, your fearful reaction is not the problem. Jesus doesn't call them out for being afraid. He doesn't call them out for feeling afraid. He doesn't call them out for freaking out. This is not the word for fearful. The word for fearful that he uses, uh, Thayer, Thayer in, in, in his lexicon, talks about it as the kind of word used in Revelation when, when people um, apostatize from their faith because they're under pressure. It's the kind of fear that causes you to stop believing in what you used to believe in because a situation has changed that you used to be in. It's to quit. He said, why, he, he said, why are you so fearful? But technically he said, why have you allowed fear to get in the driver's seat of your life and park this car? Why are you so out of control? Why are you so unable to keep going forward even when you're scared? The apostasy, that's the issue. He says, why are you so why have you apostatized? That's, that's what it says in, in, in the book of Revelation. Why have you forsaken the faith? So it's not bad to fear, but Jesus says, don't, in the middle of your fear, don't let your fear drive. It can be in the car. It can be in the back seat. It can be talking to you all the time because that's what it's there for. It's there to talk to you. It's there to keep you out of trouble, right? I mean, fear causes us to not do incredibly dumb things. So it's helpful, <laughs> When it's in the back seat, when it's talking to you, that's great. But don't let it drive. Don't let it get in the driver's seat. Don't let it make your decisions. Don't let it choose who you're going to marry and who you're going to date and what church you're going to go to and, and whether or not you're going to give financially to God. Don't let, don't, you can let it sit in the back seat and talk to you, but don't let it drive. Don't let it make your decisions. Jesus said, why did you let fear get in the driver's seat? 
Sure, it's in the boat. Absolutely. And it should be. If it's not, you know, you get into trouble. So it's not to be fearless. It's to, it's, to, it's to allow fear to have its rightful place in the back seat. And then he says, how is it you have no faith? Now, he didn't mean that they have no faith, period. Actually, how is it? Is, it could also be translated in what way? By the way, this is not an accusation. This is a real question. Because part of the purpose of the storm is to reveal in what way we have no faith. Because they had faith in their teaching, in Jesus' teaching. They had faith in Jesus' power. They had faith in his ability to heal. They had faith, in, obviously, in his, in his, in his uh, calling of God on his life. They had left everything to follow him. So they had, they had several ways that he, Jesus could see their faith. And yet he brought them into a storm for them to see the one way, the one way in which they didn't have faith. He says, in what way are you missing? Where is, where's the leak? Okay, we can see how water's getting into this boat. How's water getting into your heart? Like, where's the, where's the hole? It's not that you don't have any faith. It's not that you have zero, because you wouldn't be in the boat with Jesus in the middle of the Sea of Galilee if you had no faith. Of course, you have some faith, but there's, but there's a way in which you have very little faith. See, the storm is sent for two reasons. God, I think, allows us to enter into storms so that we can see in what way we don't believe him the way we thought we did. Not to shame us, but to strengthen us. He wants to cultivate us. He wants to build us into the image of his son. And so he allows us to go through difficult things so that we can see in what way we were missing faith, in what way our faith was misplaced, in what way we, our faith was, was mislabeled. Because sometimes it was just fear. We were just afraid of going to hell. That was our faith. And that's why we turned to him, and that's why we served him. And because some preacher said we were going to go to hell if we didn't. And so we did the bare minimum and we tried to make sure we did do enough to get into heaven because we was fear driven. It was phobos. We had a lot of phobos with regard to God. And, and then you get into a storm and you realize that that's not going to work because now there's something that's even more fearful in front of you. And now you're like, oh man, I, I can't serve God out of fear anymore. And the good news is, is that God wants that to be revealed so that he can show you in what way. In what way have you not believed me? In what way have you not sought me? In what way have you not leaned on me? And then they can find it, and then they can fix it, and then they can lean on him, and then they can be cultivated. And so God often allows us to enter into storms to cultivate us. But the enemy, on the other hand, is clearly stirring up a storm because Jesus rebukes the wind. You don't rebuke something that's, doing, that's not doing something wrong. And we know that Satan is the God of the air. And he says to the wind, hey, I see you. I know what you're doing. I know what you're up to. And I'm calling you out. And I'm telling you to stop. He speaks to not just the air, but the God of the air. He says, hey, I see what you're doing. See, and this is something else I, I think that we're going to get into into the new year. There's a lot more layers than just psychology that's keeping you in your traps. There's a lot more to your situation than just your mental thinking and you learning to think better. There's a spiritual dynamic to this thing. There's a, there's a God of the air that is stirring things up in your life. And Jesus deals with that and he rebukes that. 
And part of the reason, I think, why the enemy comes to these disciples in the middle of the lake is because he is afraid of what's on the other side. If you could see what was on the other side, you'd try to stop you too, if you were the enemy. If you could see the deliverance that was about to come to the, not just that one man. See, that one man was a symbol of an entire people group, because when that one man got free, those demons said, this is our territory, so we don't have anywhere else to go. And Jesus says, great, how about you go occupy those pigs? And the pigs ran down the mountain and into the lake, and they drowned, meaning that the demons were not just expelled from the man, but they were expelled from the entire territory, that an entire territory, the land of the Gadarenes, actually was delivered in that, in that lone tomb, the entire area, the kind of deliverance God wants to bring is not limited to one person. It may start with one person. It may be all about one person. But what he wants to do is spread his freedom to an entire region. And Satan knows that. He's attacking that because he knows what's on the other side. He's trying to stop you on, in the middle because he knows if you make it to the other side. Jesus, by the way, when he got to the other side, didn't even have to say a word. He just put his foot on the ground. And it says when he got off the boat, that's immediately the demons started screaming out, what, 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 what are you doing here? What's going on? How come our time is over? He didn't even say anything because, because, because if the presence of God can get to the place where deliverance is needed... A sermon isn't needed. A song isn't needed. It's just simply the announcing of the kingdom of God on the same property that the enemy used to occupy has now been taken over by a greater authority and a king who is above every other king and a principality that is above every principality and a power that is above every power. And so what's on the other, what, what you're facing now is a sign that there is great deliverance on the other side. So my encouragement to you is, in what way don't you have any faith? What way has faith, has fear caused you to stop moving forward? If, it's, if, if in any way you slowed down, I got a message for you. Let's go. Let's go. Let's, let's go. Would you pray with me right now? And I'd just like to invite the prayer team to come forward for, for a minute and just stand down here at the front. If you are in the middle of a storm, this is the time to take the hand of one of these and pray with them. There's no special superpower except the connection with God. We wake him up. We go to the back of the boat. We reach out to him. And we see him do great and mighty things in our lives. 